here this morning. Elsie and I are glad to be with you down here uh, in Bedford. It's always a treat for us to be with you, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach. We're in this series uh, called Live Like Jesus, and the fourth insightful word as we're going through this series is protect. You know, we're using John chapter 17 as the basis for the sermons, and in this prayer of Jesus that he prays for his disciples and for us, this is what he prays in verse 12 and following. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has ever been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. I protected them, Jesus said. Today is our Family Commitment Sunday, and tomorrow is National First Responders Day. So, focusing on the word protect seems to be a most appropriate word for the day. I mean, that's the key responsibility of first responders, and it's one of the chief concerns of parents when you start raising your kids. You want to protect your children. And so we feel a need to protect those who are precious to us, just as the priceless pearl is protected by the hard shell of the oyster. So let me ask you, where does this heart of a parent come from that wants to protect? Well, I'll tell you what I think. You know, we are created in the image of God, and God is a protective God And so if we're created in his image and he is a God of protection, then it stands to reason that we are going to protect those that we love so much. Even God's creation, you just have to look around you. Even God's creation bears out the concept that, that God protects, that parents protect. I don't know if you're familiar with the ruffed grouse. But it, uh, the, the ruffed grouse builds a shallow nest on the ground, lines it with leaves and pine needles, and then the mother grouse lays between 8 and 14 eggs. Now, she only lays one egg per day, but when she's done laying her eggs, then she starts incubating them all at the same time so that they will hatch at the same time 24 days later. The newly hatched chicks are able to run within 24 hours of their birth, and then the mother grouse teaches them a warning cry. And when sounded, the chicks will scatter in all directions for cover, while the mother grouse squawks, writhes as if in pain, acts as if her wing was broken to draw the attention of the predator. And when the predator is about ready to strike, She explodes from the scene, flying through the forest, dodging trees at 35 miles an hour. Man, that is fast. Can you imagine driving a car 35 miles an hour through the forest, dodging all these trees? When the predator is gone, she returns, gives the all-clear signal, and the chicks who have been motionless in hiding run to the shelter of the shadow of her wing. You just have to look at creation and you see all of these grand pictures of parents protecting, of God protecting. So it's no wonder that the psalmist writes in Psalm 63, because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your strong right hand holds me securely. God protects. Jesus used another example from creation, one that you're probably very familiar with. 
And, and it is in John chapter 10, among the I am passages that Jesus shared. And this one hits at the protection theme best. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock is scattered. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. That's us. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, the imagery here, folks, takes on a sense of clarity when we understand a bit more about the nature of sheep. Author and uh, Christian leader Philip Keller was at one point in his life a sheep rancher before he became a minister. And he writes about the fact that sheep require more attention than any other livestock. Do we have any... Any farmers in here who raise sheep? Let me see your hands, if you do. Okay, I, I was just curious. There's probably a good reason. They're harder than any other livestock uh, to raise, he says. Um, <clears throat> here are some of the things he says that make sheep so difficult. They require more attention. They're not capable of taking care of themselves. Unless the shepherd makes them move, they will stay and actually ruin a pasture, eating every blade of grass until the finally fertile pasture is nothing more than barren soil. Sheep are nearsighted, very stubborn, easily frightened. A jackrabbit, something as simple as a jackrabbit can cause a stampede among a flock of sheep. Sheep have little means of defense. They're timid, feeble creatures. Their only resource is to run if no shepherd is there to protect them. To add insult to injury, sheep have no homing instincts. A dog, horse, cat, or even a bird can find its way home. We've been catching chipmunks around our yard in a cage. First time I just let them off, you know... I have, I've been told, unless you take that chipmunk five miles away and let it go, it'll find its way back to the holes in the ground around your house. Most creatures of God's creation have a homing device built in. Sheep do not. They are helpless if they get lost. No wonder sheep need a shepherd who will provide for them, protect them, and lead them. Now, here's the deal. This is no compliment when the scriptures calls us sheep of God's pasture. But that is the most common analogy that we find in scripture with regard to human beings and God's shepherding care. We're like sheep, he's like the good shepherd. You probably know this passage by heart because the scriptures are full of passages about the shepherd. You know this, would you read it out loud? Let's just read it out loud together this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know that there ever has been, there is, or ever will be a passage of Scripture that is more comforting and endearing than the 23rd Psalm. And it's all about us being sheep and the Lord being our shepherd. And then earlier in John 10, where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, he adds this thought too in verses 1 following. He said, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way, that's a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then Jesus says this, I'm the gate, I'm the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and will go out and find pasture. Now, if we're going to live like Jesus and help others live like Jesus, then we need to understand how Jesus protects and communicates that protection to others. So here's just a few things I want to draw out of this, just for a few moments, if you'll hang in there with me, uh, about God's great protection. Being in his flock protects us from being alone something about being in a flock, you're not by yourself. And that's a good thing. The good shepherd knows our names and he leads us together. Did you know there are approximately 42 million Americans over the age of 45 who are dealing with chronic loneliness? We are less socially connected as Americans than ever before in our history. And you say, well, wait, what about social media? (laughs) Social media is part of the problem. We have stopped connecting face-to-face and started connecting through the Internet, only adding to this feeling of loneliness. Technology is no substitute for somebody with skin. The evidence also suggests that social isolation and loneliness significantly increases premature death, eclipsing many of the commonly known health indicators. So this is not just... an, an issue. It's a health problem as well. Today, one in seven lives alone, about 31 million compared to 4 million in 1950. And the number of American adults who have never been married is at a historic high, around 20%. Now, I, real, I realize that some people choose to be alone, and that's fine as a choice. But when it is forced upon you, it changes everything. The lonely come from all walks of life. It's not just people who feel rejected or overlooked. Loneliness grips the popular and successful, even those who are surrounded by people. You can be in a group of people and still feel lonely. The successful scientist Albert Einstein once said, it's strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Even Jesus understood and knew loneliness. John reminds us that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So here you are in the midst of people, and you're lonely. Loneliness grows from hardship. If you lose a job, you're suddenly separated not only from your coworkers, but from the capacity to provide for your family, and you are feeling a sense of loneliness. Loneliness grows from broken relationships. A friendship dissolves. An engagement breaks up, a divorce splits, a war takes away, a death separates with finality. Loneliness comes from broken relationships. Loneliness grows from opposition. 
Try having a conversation on any controversial subject where everybody else in the room is on one side and you're by yourself on the other side of the issue. See how you feel. Loneliness grows out of all of those situations. Separation then leads to that loneliness. And statistically, 70% of people in convalescent homes, 70% never get a visit from anybody. 70%. Hurt triggers isolation. Isolation triggers depression. And, it, and it's, just, it's just a tailspin. When an airplane keels over into a spin, the pilot has a certain amount of time to correct the spin and pull out of the dive, and everybody will be okay. But after you reach a certain point, you can no longer correct the spin, you can no longer pull out, and the end is nothing but devastation and death. Here's the good news. We don't have to stay lonely. You can pull out of the tailspin if you take the opportunity and if you seize the moment. And since this is Family Commitment Sunday, each of us needs to renew our commitment to stay close to family. And some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't know my family. They don't like me very well. Well, that may be true, but I've seen this before. Family sticks together in the tough times. Even if you don't really like each other well, family is family. Blood is thick. And maybe it's up to you to take the first step to renew that family commitment because you're going to need family, and family's going to need you as the years roll by. And remember this too, you are a part of his flock, so you have a spiritual family here. So connect with a life group, join in a ministry opportunity here, go to the men's breakfast this coming Saturday, find a way and a means to spend time with other Christians. Your physical and spiritual families are the best ways to avoid loneliness. Jesus said, you are a part of my flock. That means there are others here, so take advantage of it because his flock helps prevent and protects us from loneliness. Being in his flock protects us from poor judgment as well. Jesus said that his sheep know him and they listen to his voice. And you may be thinking, I've never heard the voice of God. What am I missing? <clears throat> Jesus is speaking, I think, metaphorically. Jesus calls us sheep. We're not literal as sheep. We know what he's talking about. Jesus said, you hear my voice. We know what he's talking about. His word, his voice, gives us and provides us with wisdom. The late Sam Levinson, American humorist, wrote this. He said, it is so simple to be wise. Just think of something stupid to say and then don't say it. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. I wish it was that easy to be wise. It, it isn't. We talk about wisdom being in short supply as if there was a limited amount of it to go around. But wisdom doesn't work that way, folks. It's available to everybody. Some speak of wisdom and knowledge as if the words were interchangeable, but they aren't. Being smart is no guarantee that you'll also be wise. I like how Miles Kington distinguished between the two. He said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Wisdom isn't what you know, it's the ability to use what you know. Wisdom has more in common with common sense than common knowledge. So let me suggest some ways to live wisely. Step one, pray for wisdom. 
James, in his letter to the ancient church, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You want to be wise? Pray. Ask the Father. He wants his sheep to be wise. Prayer should be a multi-lane highway to wisdom. But we often treat it like a back street alley. Since God is the embodiment of wisdom, it makes sense that we should approach him first. He said, ask me and I'll give you wisdom. So, so pray. Step two, work at wisdom. And you said, wait a minute, you just said pray for wisdom and God will give it. Why do I have to work at wisdom? Well, most of us expect wisdom to just happen like that. Some morning you'll wake up and voila, you'll be wise as ever. No, it doesn't work that way. God will provide wisdom. But God also provides you with other skills and abilities. But you have to develop the skills. You have to work at the skills. You have to hone those skills and sharpen those skills. Wisdom is the same way. So you want to kind of help build your wisdom, grow in your wisdom, work at your wisdom, Here's some things you can do. Read quality, spiritually-minded books, periodicals, and articles. Read. Analyze your mistakes so you don't repeat them. Visit with wise people. Ask questions that you can learn from their experience. Listen more than you talk. That's a hard one for preachers. Don't assume you have all the right answers. Explore both sides of any argument. Seek first to understand before you clamor to be understood. Be tenacious. Wisdom is often gained through trial and error. And then grow in wisdom. Be patient. Occasionally the Lord grants it, but most of the time he teaches it. And it takes a while. If you're looking for quick shade, plant a silver maple. It'll grow fast, but it won't be a very good tree. It'll get soft and it'll get large and good wind will come along and break off a lot of limbs or it may split the trunk or something else. You want something that's lasting, plant an oak. It'll be around long after you're gone. Wisdom works that way. Don't get in a hurry. Patiently grow in your wisdom. And here's the, uh, uh, the last thing. Being in his flock protects us from giving up. You know, Jesus talks about the gate to the sheepfold or the sheep pen. Uh, there was no gate. When, when I think of a farm gate, I think of something on hinges that you have to get down off your truck, you have to get out of your tractor, you open up the gate, and you walk through, you know, that type of thing. But there was no gate. The sheep pen had an open opening in the front where the sheep entered and came out. The gate was the shepherd himself. He just laid down over the opening, across the opening. That way, if one of the sheep was trying to get out, they'd have to go over the shepherd to get out. Or if there was a predator that wanted to get into the sheep, he'd have to go over the shepherd to get into the sheep. So the shepherd himself became the gate. Life is filled with predators seeking to destroy us, but Jesus has promised to get us through the tough times. Hardships are guaranteed. How you handle them is not. You get to choose whether you'll give up or you'll hunker down. Someone suggested that life is like a grindstone. Whether it grinds you down or polishes up depends on you. The shepherd has promised that he'll be your gate, that he'll be there to protect you. 
But you have to decide how you're going to handle the tough times and whether you'll trust him or not. Our nation was in a state of financial panic. The markets plunged. Hundreds of banks closed. People feared the economy would never recover. Alexander Norris studied the business of his sons-in-law and feared that they might not survive the financial collapse of 1837. The boys were about ready to throw in the towel. One produced candles and the other produced soap, but both depended upon the same raw materials, a steady supply of animal fat. Now, rather than competing for the same resources their father-in-law suggested, they should join forces and create a new business together. The boys didn't like the idea, but they realized that if they were going to survive, that might be their only option. It worked. The new company was a success, even in the tough economic times. Alexander Norris did his sons-in-law a favor. Now, how many of you remember the, the name Alexander Norris? Nobody? Isn't that a shame? Bet you remember his sons-in-law's name. One was William Proctor. The other was James Gamble. And even today, Procter & Gamble's annual sales are in the billions of dollars. Imagine how the story would have been different if they had given up. Being in God's flock protects us from giving up, from throwing in the towel. When the bottom falls out and the tough times come, don't give up. Think of it like a custard pie. <laughs> Some ingredients by themselves are really good. Milk and sugar. What's not to like about that? Others, not so much. Raw eggs and shortening, or lard, if you still use that, to help make the crust. By themselves, those, those are not so good. But you put them all together, and the end result is absolutely delicious. Better than any one of the individual ingredients by themselves. Now, life, folks, is like that. Some things are good, some things not so much. But when you give them over to the Lord, and He puts them all together, He makes life wonderful if we don't give up. Jesus not only promised to lay down in front of the sheepfold, he promised to lay down his life to give us eternity. So here's the good news. Even if everyone else abandons you and you have no more wisdom left to guide you and you think you have nothing left to live for, don't give up because you still have the presence of Jesus Christ who has given us not only life now, but immortality for the world to come. So listen to the Good Shepherd's voice. Study his word. Pray. Open up your minds and your heart to let him build wisdom in you and hang tight in the tough times. I think we got this picture. I really like this picture. It says, when you feel like you're drowning in life situations, don't worry. Your lifeguard walks on water. If he can do that. What, is, what obstacle in your life can he not handle? Now, being the father of two daughters has taught me more about God's protection than any other experience in life. It, I don't know, I just felt this overwhelming sense as a dad to protect my daughters. And I've enjoyed walking through life with my girls. But some of those walks left me breathless. Let me explain. Walking my daughter to her kindergarten class on the very first day wasn't so difficult. 
but turning around and walking away left me breathless. I walked beside her gurney down the hospital corridor to the operating room when she entered alone. As those automatic stainless steel doors closed, they sucked the wind right out of my lungs. I walked with her to the BMV so she could apply for her driver's license. Any breath I had left from that walk was spent praying for her safety on the road. I walked her to the door on her first date. Trust me, I wanted to walk a lot farther that night, but I didn't. I stopped at the threshold, breathing hard. I walked the last arm of college stuff to her dorm room, slowly, knowing things would never quite be the same again. A few years later, I walked her down the aisle, and I gave her to another man who is now walking with her every step of the way. And now, I'm walking with my daughter's children, and they breathe new life into me. But the greatest walk I ever took with my girls was down into the water to share in their baptisms. When they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I knew they could cope with anything, anything, because now they knew the Good Shepherd who would protect them, not just now, but for eternity. I'd done my best to protect them, but God was going to do far more, exceedingly more, than anything I could ever do. So I'm going to ask you this morning, are you walking with him? Are you allowing him to protect you? Is he guiding, directing your life to keep you in his flock, away from loneliness and away from the issues and the problems? Is he causing you to be polished up when otherwise you would be ground down? 